get up in your mic and talk for a sec. It's your own chair. <laughs> Sorry, I was shocked a little. Were you expecting something different? No, no, I don't know why I was expecting anything different. Mama told me not to. <laughs> Miss me, how you in? Shut the back step. Shut the back step. I want to watch it again. Shut so the back bad. <laughs> Come on over here, Uncle Baby Billy. <laughs> Mr. Uncle, Uncle Baby, Baby Billy. Billy. <laughs> I'm so sorry, sir. <laughs> I grew up around people like that. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Mormons and Drugs podcast, a kind of not-so-weekly podcast wherein I discuss the shockingly frequent intersections of Mormonism, magic, and drugs. I am Cody, the... Shuffleback step. Shuffleback step of this podcast. Um, Nakoni, ranty host. (laughs) Joining me is my co-host and producer, Moth Dula. How you doing, Moth? Good. I'm good. Yeah? yeah. I have never gone more into that, so I won't continue. Okay. Or I will. I will continue. Oh, you continue not. Continue. I will okay. continue. Well done. Um, <laughs> so we're, uh, as we're into season two, kind of well past doing any recaps at the beginning of each episode. So, you know, if you're new to no. this, just go back, rewatch yeah, things. Just go back. We're not going to do that. Uh, briefly... We, why am I, 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 I like that I said that and then I always like re- script out a recap anyway. Do you? I, I guess I did. Okay. Like, that might've, I instinctually was like, no, cause I just don't want to hear the recap. Just listen to the last one. If you don't remember, then like <laughs> listen to the last one. Go. Um, Skip so it. <laughs> today <laughs> we're going to explore some of the more frat boy like behavior that occurred in Kirtland during these years. Whoop. And perhaps touch on why uh, it sadly had to come to an end, uh, at least in view of the public. Mainly, uh, this was because of the racist Missourians thinking that the Mormons weren't racist enough, which they totally were, but, you know, they didn't think so. So, onward. Um, In terms of uh, restricting doctrine, there is no more infamous than the Mormon word of wisdom. Uh, that's where you know they can't drink coffee or alcohol or all that, all the all the fun things. Except sugar. Except sugar. Um, but as as we'll see, I think there's there's some wiggle room that a lot of people don't think of. Established in February of 1833, many of the Mormons were familiar with the story leading up to the commandments creation. From Second Prophet of the LDS branch, Brigham Young, quote. I think I am well acquainted with the circumstances which led to the giving of the word of wisdom as any man in the church, although I was not present at the time to witness them. The first school of the prophets was held in a small room situated over the prophet Joseph's kitchen, owned by Bishop Newell K. Whitney. Over this kitchen was situated the room in which the prophet received revelations and which he instructed the brethren. The brethren came to this place from hundreds of miles to attend school in a little room probably no larger than 11 by 14. When they assembled together in this room after breakfast, the first thing they did was lit their pipes, and, while smoking, talk about great things of the kingdom, and spit all over the room. And as soon as the pipe was at... They're talking about tobacco, spit oh. and tobacco. And as soon Wait. as... Hold on. Now just, I'm confused. Um, <laughs> I thought it, you chewed it. Why do they have pipes? So they have pipes and they're chewing. Oh, uh, double gross. Double okay, gross, yeah. 
Uh, often when the prophet entered the room to give the school instructions, he would find himself in a cloud of tobacco smoke. This, and the complaints of his wife having to clean such a filthy floor, made the prophet think upon the matter, and he inquired of the Lord relating to the conduct of the elders in using tobacco, and the revelation known as the word of wisdom was the result of this inquiry, unquote. In uh, this very cleverly worded revelation, Joe cleans up the school of the prophet's more disgusting behaviors, uh, i.e. just like spitting all over, spitting tobacco junk all over the floor. Um, it actually got so bad that it was leaking, like the, the spittoon was in one corner of the room apparently, mm-hmm. and the guys would spit at it and miss, and it would just like hit the floor and it was leaking into the kitchen area. So she was like, like gross tobacco spit was like, like staining the floorboards and then like staining the area underneath the kitchen. That's when she like freaked out and was like, this is gross. You need to clean this up. Uh, objectively. Yes. Very gross. <laughs> um, so uh, when presented with uh, discrediting accusations and report of the religion and Smith's noted intemperance, he, with this new revelation, had something convenient to fall back on while crying religious persecution as he was known to do. From DNC 89, or what is better known as the Word of Wisdom, quote, That inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink among you, behold, it is not good. Neither meet in the sight of your father, only in assembling yourselves together to offer up your sacraments before him. And behold, this should be wine, pure wine of the grape of the vine, of your own make. And again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of bodies. And again, tobacco is not for the body, neither for the belly, and it is not good for man, but it is an herb for bruises and all sick cattle, and to be used with judgment and skill, unquote. While condemning the overindulgence of strong drink, liquor, this le- revelation uh, again sanctions the use of wine or mixed drink, so long as it is made by the church members. I thought, okay. So it he says yourself, but doesn't... It says you can use wine of your own make. Right. That doesn't mean it can. And as long as just it's... Just you have to make it yourself. Yes. Yeah. And as long as it's sanctified to God within Mormon the- uh, theology, it is technically a sacrament. So wine's cool if you made it yourself. And as long as you s- sanctify it to God, everything's chill. Um, convenient little loophole. So this section finishes off by similarly sanctioning the medical use of spiritus liquor and tobacco. Continuing on. Quote, and again, I verily say unto you, all wholesome herbs God hath ordained for the constitution, nature, and use of man, every herb in the season thereof, and every fruit in the season thereof, all these things are to be used with prudence and thanksgiving. All grain is good for the food of man, as also the fruit of the vine, that which yieldeth fruit, whether in the ground or above ground. Nevertheless, wheat for man, and corn for the ox, and oats for the horse, and rye for the fowls, and the swine, and for all the beasts of the field, and barley for the use of animals, and for mild drinks, as also other grain. And all the saints who remember to keep to do these things, walking in obedience to the commandments, shall receive health in their navel, and the marrow in their bones, and shall find wisdom and great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures. Unquote. Hidden treasures. Yeah. And every herb. Every single one, so long it is used with prudence and thanksgiving. That's all herbs. Which is, it's funny that the church's stance on things like cannabis today. Um, additionally. Or beer. He kind of clearly said beer. Yeah. Who, oh, yeah. Um, what else do you, what mild drink right. do you make out of barley, right? Other yeah. than beer. And so, again, as long as you're making your own wine and beer, it's totally cool to use. And it's, I, again, 
they really downplay that today. No one ever pointed that out to me. I was just like, I remember in seminary class raising my hand and being like, um, <laughs> wait a minute. I, we had to read this last night. I just highlighted some sections. What do you mean by this? And it, 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 it doesn't go well, but they don't like to talk about the fact that it is actually totally cool to drink as long as you make it yourself. Is there a fraction of Mormonism that does that? I am not aware of one that openly like still uses wine in the sacrament. They all like, as far as I'm aware, still use water and they kind of, they're all pretty uh, teetotaling. Um, what's the word? Temperance people. They're all like, not like messing with yourself unless a doctor prescribed you something. <laughs> so additionally, fruit, whether in the ground or above the ground, could be another loophole for things like mushrooms, mandrake, belladonna, and the like. With the mention of mild drinks, like you said, made from grain and the earlier sanctioned use of lightly alcoholic drinks like wine, one can assume that this passage finishes with the similar sanction, uh, sanctioned use of beer, like I said, uh, which, like wine, can be a reliable, convenient delivery method for entheogenic plants and fungi. Um, very famously, several times throughout history, uh, people have laced beers and wine with things to get like armies uh, super intoxicated so they can like escape or commit a coup de gras or what have you. While the wordage in this document is interpreted differently today, <laughs> very differently, Joe's Word of Wisdom was a very cleverly worded document that any temp temperance society of the day would approve of, but still left himself enough wiggle room, wiggle room uh, for uh, argument and obfuscation. Originally revealed not only by commandment or restraint, many of the early Mormons took this revelation as more of a polite suggestion rather than a punishable commandment as it is viewed today. So, like, today, if you don't follow the word of wisdom, you can't go to the temple and go do all the, the super fun Christian magic in a Marvel spaceship. But couldn't you argue with them? Like, hey, read the word of wisdom. Yeah. I can have beer. Yes, and I actually have known people that have done so successfully. But it is, and it's hushed up. It's basically like, okay, um, in this, we're giving you a very special dispensation to do this thing as in the way you're describing and as long as you are doing it the way you described, that's okay. Let's just not talk about this with the other members, okay? It's like gotcha. that. <sighs> okay. So if you want to have the wiggle room, you can. Sometimes. Which, I've also seen people try Which it. are the most Joseph-like of the Mormons. <laughs> it um, it, it kind of depends on your, your bishop and your stake president because they're the ones that issue you... Um, your temple recommends, gotcha. um, and if it, it's kind of up to the individual to decide whether or not your specific case is worth, you know, anything. Usually not, I would say. <laughs> People probably don't get away with that very often, but okay. there is a legitimate argument for it. So, as we've seen in the last few episodes, and we will continue to explore, this revelation did nothing to stem the ecstatic rituals of the Mormons that followed uh, the administration of entheogenic sacraments, or even quiet recreational intoxication. Nor were the two mutually exclusive concepts. Um, for example, years after this revelation, Joseph remembered what sounds like a rather pleasant evening, quote from his own Bible. I took my mother to Aunt Clarissa and, and accompanied them to Painesville, where we procured a bottle of wine, broke bread, ate and drank, and parted after the ancient order with the blessing of God, unquote. Procured? Yeah, so actually, he didn't even make that wine. They just went out and bought a bottle of wine, and him and his mom and his aunt had a bottle of wine and just, like, you know, had a nice dinner. Like, <laughs> that was okay. <clears throat> That's okay? That, that was okay. Okay. Like, that was from Joe's own journal. So clearly, it was okay to occasionally, like, 
indulge lightly, and that wasn't even considered a, a infraction. Um, I thought the whole point of that whole thing was that you had to make it yourself. Even. <laughs> I'm, I'm just. But again, it's it's uh, Joe's not getting drunk that night, so it's not a problem. He just had some wine, which in in that that's the thing I'm trying to illustrate mostly is like today. Um, my mom, for example, when when she would make chili, would go to the store and get non-alcoholic beer for the chili, even though it cooks all the alcohol out. Mm-hmm. And she would be so terrified in the in the grocery store with me that she had me prepped and like if you see anybody from church with uh, the beer in the cart you take off with the cart and i will distract like she was so terrified that somebody from church would even see us with something that looked like beer even though you know you know what i mean it's just like (laughs) there's such an atmosphere of terror revolving around intoxicating substances that like this would having a drink with your mom and your aunt and just like having a bottle of wine was not okay. It's not okay today, but very much was. That's the prophet talking. This took place uh, three years after the addition of the Word of Wisdom, mind you. Three years after? Mm-hmm. That quote I gave you. Um, Such religious interpretations of intoxication were not always uh, within reach, however, as some events were unambiguously just a good time being had by some backwoods good old boys who found themselves with excess cash for the first time in their lives. Mormon apostle William E. McClellan remembered what what eventually led to his disaffection from the church. Quote, Soon, fine dressing and parties were the go, and soon a fine ride was determined upon, meaning like a nice carriage. Mm -hmm. Some 15 couples hired carriages and fine harnesses and horses, and when all was in readiness, they set out for Cleveland, some 19 miles away. They drove round and round through the streets. People gazed and inquired, Who is all this? Oh, it is Joe Smith, the Mormon prophet and his company. They put up at a first-class tavern, called for a room, refreshments, and something to drink. Some of them became intoxicated, and they broke up about $20 worth of dishes and furniture, which is about $600 today. Uh, Next morning, they paid their bill and set out for home. They stopped at Elucid halfway and took dinner and again drank freely. And after that, they set out for home and commenced running horses and turned over a buggy and broke it up so that they had to haul it away home on a wagon. But all went swimmingly. We are great merchmen. Money is a plenty. But no confessions were ever required or made in the church for this wild goose chase. They still continued their practices and their drinking to excess until I, sickened and with a heavy heart, left the place and the church and wended my way to Illinois with my companion and two little children. Unquote. What? Oh my gosh. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yes, this is like a full on like... Um, hangover this but, is, yeah like, like imagine uh, <laughs> slow motion sequences of shaking uh, shaking up bottles of champagne and people yeah. smashing dishes with canes and like you said 15 couple, couples 15 couples yeah massive uh, w- group. which included joseph smith his brother hiram uh oliver cowdery a lot of the hierarchy these are all this is all the like the top-notch mormon guys who yeah. have all of the all of the underlings money now <laughs> and this is what they're doing with church funds Jeez. so Again, this is after the word of wisdom. As we can see, while he introduced the word of wisdom, and it means a lot today, really was a polite suggestion that was not, didn't mean a whole lot back then. Clearly, yeah. Clearly. This makes, so when is this entry, how long ago since the word of wisdom? Is um, it three years also? No, that, that um, this actually took place, God, I think, let me look. This did not take place long after. This was maybe less than a year after the introduction <laughs> of the Word of Wisdom. Gotcha. This is this is the stuff going on. So it was never really solid. 
yeah, like I said, it's <laughs> it more really... of a polite suggestion at the time. And Sounds even... like it was just made to appease the people that wanted that. And yes. Was, they were like, oh, yeah, that rolls back. And, we, and remember, we talked about this last episode, but uh, right as they settled in Kirtland and started doing all this entheogenic shit, a bunch of temperance societies kind of popped up in the mm-hmm. same town. Right. So this was their way of like, hey, no, we're we're cool. We're cool. Yeah. We're cool guys. Because a bunch and of reports were coming. And they just go and party out. in the town over. And then they go to the town over and do the, yeah. That's... Okay. And they just come back and they're just like, no. <laughs> no, everything's fine, guys. No, just fine. Just stay. We just went to books, Cleveland for a couple read days. the and... Bible by the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all <laughs> just sat by the uh, in window reading each other the Bible. <laughs> So this was, again, likely using funds collected by Smith's supposedly divine form of communism. Joe took his religious hierarchy on on a riotous good time. (laughs) Well, McClellan eventually left the church and Smith for such behavior. There were others that used it as an example on how to conduct themselves. So the guy that wrote this eventually left? Yeah, the guy in the last quote used that as like, hey, this is one of the reasons why I left, because I didn't like watching them squander church funds like this. Gotcha. Um, Okay. And and we see this repeatedly. <laughs> a lot of people said this. It wasn't just one uh, one person. So when when brought up for church disciplinary actions for breaking the word of wisdom, or in other words, being visibly intoxicated in public, quote, Almond W. Babbitt, a prominent 70, uh, the office above elder, had been accused of breaking the word of wisdom. Acknowledging his guilt before the high council, he protested that he had taken the liberty of breaking the word of wisdom Quote, from the example of the President Joseph Smith Jr. and others, unquote. (laughs) So while being brought up for charges of public intoxication, he's like, yeah, what about Joe and all of you guys? Literally all of you (laughs) on on the board. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also remember, uh, we try and hit this a lot, but remember what the 19th century standard of intoxication was. (laughs) It was a lot more drunk than it is today. You could have been stumbling over drunk and people would have been like... Oh, man, he should probably get home. He basically pissed himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, He it, that was the level. Like, raving, drunk, screaming, knocking things over, pissing yourself drunk. That's when people were like, oh, oh I think he's, he's had too much now. <laughs> While religiously ecstatic or even recreational intoxication uh, was not in short supply within Kirtland, Ohio, and the Mormon headquarters, church authority began attempting to push it further and further out of the public sphere. All about the image. Say what you will about Joe, but God damn it, that man knew good marketing and how to pivot out of a bad situation. Members were amassing in early 1833, and not just in Kirtland, Ohio. As we've discussed, although church headquarters remained in Kirtland, huge congregations were amassing in Missouri, and in, uh, in particular, the place that Joe had prophesied would be the final city of Zion when Jesus finally came, uh, which would be literally any minute now, he said. Uh, while dealing with constant church drama uh, and power struggles, Joe found his quickly growing religion running into unforeseen political complications as well. Hmm. In a largely ignored section of American history, during the late 1832, the Civil War almost began 30 years earlier. I'm not, I can't go into this, but the then President Andrew Jackson barely got the lid on things by sending out federal troops to squash a small uprising in South Carolina. And it was at this time that most Americans began to see the War of the States as an inevitable event looming in the the very near future. Hmm. Um, By December of that same year, Joe miraculously delivered one of his revelations, which timely prophesied a civil war between the North and South. This revelation quietly stayed out of church publications while peace held for 30 years, 
only coming out retroactively after the war had concluded. And it came out as what we know today as uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 84. This revelation was important to the church at the time, however, as it established the religion's official stance on a very important political issue of the day, which it had not yet really done like that at that point. So was this held on to and not released until after his death? <laughs> yes. Um, we'll, we'll get into that a bit more. But um, essentially, it, it said there would be a war of the states, peace held for 30 years, and they quietly were just like, eh, we'll ignore that revelation. And then after the Civil War, they put it out and see like, guy, look, our guy, that's our guy, revelating all the truths. Alex Jones does this today, <laughs> where he like, just wrong, 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 wrong right a little bit about maybe one thing but wrong about how he even presents it yeah and then he's he's like look i get it right all the time <laughs> and joe was just another one of these guys and so while joe's position on slavery was what you might be tempted to call progressive for a white guy in the 1830s it really wasn't in reality even for the time um and indeed joe pretty progressive for a while <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's that's how he's spun is like a lot of the racist stuff when you're a kid and and it bothers you and you raise your hand they're like oh it was a different time he was actually quite progressive and blah 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 and they, they try and spin it but it, uh, and so uh, joe's magically dictated several very noteworthy passages throughout the book of mormon which highlighted his personal disgust towards various peoples of color. Uh, <sighs> while writing in his book of Moses, Smith wrote of Africa, For behold, the Lord shall curse the land with much heat, and the barrenness thereof shall go forth forever. And there was a blackness that came upon all the children of Canaan, that they were despised among all people, unquote. We have covered this in much greater detail during our tangential rant episode on uh, Mormon white supremacy. Uh, so check out that for more disgusting details. But for now, neither the canonized Mormon doctrine or Smith officially condemned slavery, in fact. And he uh, was in, not in any way what you would call an abolitionist, so much as a complacent supporter of, sa of slavery. Uh, in a letter to Oliver Cowdery, Joe unambiguously clarified his position on slavery for anyone who was yet unaware. Quote, and when I see the persons in the free states signing documents against slavery, it is no less in my mind than the array of influence than a declaration of hostilities against the people of the South. What can divide our union sooner? God only knows. Ugh. Um, so the, the, <laughs> I, 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 I won't even go into it. After having expressed himself so freely on this subject, I do not doubt but those who have been forward in raising their voice against the South will cry out against me as being uncharitable, unfeeling, and unkind, wholly unacquainted with the gospel of Christ. It is my privilege, then, to name certain passages from the Bible and examine the teachings of the ancients upon this nature, as the fact is incontrovertible and the first mention we have of slavery is found in the Holy Bible— pronounced by a man who was perfect in his generation and walked with God. And so far from that prediction being averse from the mind of God, it remains as the last monument of the decree of Jehovah to the shame and confusion of all who have cried against the South in consequence of holding their brothers of ham in servitude. So, <laughs> that's uh, Joe's prophet speech for God's cool with slavery, so am I. Um, Mormons today often, like I said, spin the Missouri mob events as Smith and the church standing up against slavery and subsequently receiving an uh, the usual ignorant persecution for his uh, forward-thinking nobility. 
In reality, Joe was simply an intelligent person in the 1830s who saw the upcoming Civil War as an inevitability and so dictated his political predictions as prophecy. Non-Mormons in the gross. official... Huh? Gross. Yeah, gross. Is what I said. Non-Mormons in the officially southern state of Missouri did not see the dis this distinction in 1833, however, and as such saw the influx of Mormons as a potential threat that could flip the state to the abolitionists. In July of that year, a mob of Missourians destroyed the Mormon printing press, which was uh, publishing the first church periodical, Evening and Morning Star, and as well as versions of the uh, Book of Commandments, the first anthology of Joe's Revelations, the same thing we call today the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. Coincidentally, it was actually one of Joe's future teen brides that saved the manuscript copies from being destroyed, and they, uh, that's why they survived today in, a, in the Doctrine and Covenants. As a result of the mob activity, the Mormons uh, were largely forced to vacate Jackson County, Missouri, and Joe's prophesied state of the New Jerusalem. Over the late summer and through the fall, the Missouri... The Missouri Mormons made their case with the state justice system, attempting to regain their property in Jackson County, but to no avail. So if you didn't get that, they, the Missourians pushed them out, the Mormons out. Mm -hmm. They were petitioning to get their land and property back, but nobody was uh, having any time with it. By December of 1833, many of the struggling Mormons had been effectively chased out of Jackson County, and Joe received another tr uh, trusty revelation outlying how the Mormons would take back their lands by force in the following spring. With approximately one quarter of the Mormon population and property at that time fr uh, freshly displaced and now thousands of fanatical supporters behind him, Joseph felt free to take more aggressive actions by forming a divinely ordained militia in Kirtland to retake Jackson County. While it was the church that technically held all the members' property in common trust, it was Smith that ran the church, and so this was his money and property being stolen. <laughs> So post-revelation, some 200 armed men joined Joe's Mormon militia, and on May 4th of 1834, what is called Zion's Camp, set out for Missouri with Joe Smith as their lead. And as such, Zion's Camp proved an utter disaster. <laughs> a month later, Zion's Camp found itself nearly a thousand miles from Kirtland, crossing the Illinois River. Um, and due to a serious lack of planning, the camp found itself short on provisions, and morale was not at its best. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Joe likely took to his old teenage habits of entertaining people with uh, his revelations regarding fictionalized native inhabitants of the America. Um, and after some bored church members explored a local burial ground or desecrated it, uh, one of them found an apparent altar with some bones nearby, uh, inspiring him to further vandalize a priceless Native American burial site. Uh, the men discovered what appeared to be a skeleton near the surface and with some very shaky 19th century logic ascertained that the deceased man was originally eight or nine feet high. So a oh, fucking giant. giant. Another giant. Oh, no, this is the first giant. They find this, a couple giants. Oh, OK. Yeah, this is the first one. After being shown the remains, Smith pivots and produces a minor revelation regarding this skeleton, which inspired the camp and uh, reignited the religious faith in Joe. From Joe Smith's own records, quote, During our travels, we visited several of the mounds which had been thrown up by the ancient inhabitants of this country, the Nephites, Lamanites, etc. And this morning I went up on a high mound near the river, accompanied by the brethren. 
From this mound, we could overlook the tops of the trees and view the prairie on each side of the river as far as our vision could extend, and the scenery was truly delightful. On the top of the mound were stones, which presented the appearance of three altars having been erected one above the other, according to the ancient order, and the remains of bones were strewn over the surface of the ground. The brethren procured a shovel and a hoe, and removing the earth to the depth of about one foot, discovered the skeleton of a man, almost entire, and between his ribs the stone point of a Lamanitish arrow, which evidently produced his death. Elder Burr Riggs retained the arrow. The contemplation of the scenery around us produced peculiar sensations in our bosoms, and subsequently the visions of the past were being opened to my understanding by the Spirit of the Almighty. I discovered that the person whose skeleton was before us was a white Lamanite, a large, thick-set man, and a man of God. His name was Zelf. He oh, was he, a he knew his name. Yeah, he's getting oh. all this in Revelation, okay. my dear. Okay, all right. He Here was a go. warrior and a chieftain under the great prophet Anadangus who had been known... Oh, oh wait. Anandagus. Anandagus, who had been known from the Hill Camorra or Eastern Sea to the Rocky Mountains. All this from looking at... Okay. Yep, yep. Uh, the curse was taken from Zelf, or at least in part. Uh, one of his thigh bones was broken by a stone fl flung from a swing while in battle years before his death. He was killed by the arrow found among his ribs during the last great struggle of the Lamanites and the Nephites. Okay, so to break this down, <laughs> bespeaking the racist fantasies that brought Joe to Missouri in the first place, uh, the curse that he mentions being partially removed from Zelf is, of course, the curse of a dark and loathsome skin color. That's his language, not mine. Mormons believed until quite recently, like we've said, that melanin content was a directly correlated to religious righteousness. Many Mormon uh, apologists stick to the revisionist idea that Joe and the Book of Mormon were referring to spiritual purity and uh, metaphorical white and dark. However, as from Joe's own pen, Zelf, the alleged, quote, white Lamanite, had his curse removed from him due to his righteously switching the sides and fighting for the Nephites, or the white Native Americans. So, I often get people giving me shit about... Um, being critical of Mormon racism, mm -hmm. uh, and because you know, oh, it's metaphorical. This is a just I. It, <laughs> it was not metaphorical, as mm -hmm. you can see. Mm -hmm. um, it was very much believed that if you if you became uh, saved as a Native American, your skin would get whiter and whiter, and you would eventually stop being uh, so dark and loathsome, as they put it. Uh, yeah, I just. I have to keep hitting that point because I'm tired of having to argue with people about this being metaphorical or not. While Joe retroactively fabricated Book of Mormon heroes that fought in the fictional pre-Columbian race war that concludes his uh, Christian fan fiction, morale soared and some in the group uh, were just beside themselves as of being part of such revelations. From Mormon apostle Heber C. Kimball, quote, This caused us to rejoice, to thank the think that God was so mindful of us to show us this, these things to his servant. Brother Joseph had inquired of the Lord, and it was made known to him in a vision, unquote. Six other men in the Mormon hierarchy testified to these events regarding an eight or nine foot white Native American race war action hero. Did they like lay out all of his leg bones? Yes, they, yes, they did. They had like three knees. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would also like to point out that... Um, Due to the fact that the camp was low on provisions and a, a thousand miles from Kirtland, it is very interesting that Joe doesn't seem to be able to induce visions in other people, only himself. 
uh, will kind of like skate past whether or not his visions were legitimate or just him, you know, trying to pivot out of a situation and get mm-hmm. morale back up, yeah. uh, which is how I take it. But, you know, we can we can just acknowledge that um, it is curious during this time where he has no access to antigenic materials. He can't induce visions in others. So when Zion's camp crossed into Missouri and initiated negotiations once more to regain their lost property, the efforts proved fruitless once more, (laughs) and uh, the poorly provisioned uh, and at this point likely malnourished Mormons uh, were swept with a cholera epidemic. Oh, gosh. Largely outnumbered by similar militias who were formed by angry and threatened Missourians, uh, Smith very wisely uh, decides to disband the camp towards the end of June and then uh, sheepishly with his tail between his legs returns to Ohio. So they take like a month to get there and then And then everybody got sick. They ran out of provisions. (laughs) A bunch of local militias showed up to be like, oh, you've got armed guys, huh? We got fight. So he, oh, maybe this isn't going to go well, guys. Um, (laughs) So the approximately 2,000 mile journey proved a complete waste of time uh, and resulted in 14 dead Mormons. I was going to want, I was going to say, I wonder how many died. Uh, So Joe, at this time, received another revelation upon his return that blamed the Mormons for their problems. (laughs) They they had sinned and they had a lack of faith, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, Uh, it was you, not me. You guys are the reason this didn't work out. Um, And he prophesied that uh, a time when the saints would take back their property. Uh, I mean, he'd already prophesied this, but it didn't work out. Not this time. You guys suck. We're going to go try it again. And if you guys are good... God will let us have our stuff back, but for reals this time. <laughs> um, this event also helped spotlight uh, who Joe's true religious zealots were, uh, because you know everybody was hungry, tired, and tired of his yeah, bullshit. And really tested kinda, there. Yeah, it it, it uh, culled the herd, so to speak. Um, and so after the this event, he soon appointed his new apostolic hierarchical order, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, in early 1835. And that's, this is who kind of runs the church today, the Quorum of the Twelve. Uh, when you look at a, a... Oh, so this camp, basically testing everyone's faith into like a... Yeah. An impossible, shitty mission that was not organized. <laughs> it wasn't impossible. It was probably very possible if it had just been organized correctly. But that led him to see who was the top of the top. Or who, and who really... Who really had faith in him. Yeah. And, and, was, that... and was down to... They were ride or die. Mm-hmm. And, and then that became the... Those guys uh, were raised to the Quorum of the Twelve. Raised to the Quorum? Yes, Quorum of the Twelve. What is Quorum? A Quorum is just like a group of people that decide things for a for a, a group of... It's just a group of people? Yeah, you can have a... a like, there's quorums in, in like... Uh, God, I can't... Like, businesses have quorums and stuff. It's it, it's not a weird thing. It just is a fancy word it's for... Fancy, I've never heard of group of and then the 12 apostles is like um bringing back that apostolic idea that like we're reviving god's lost religion and these are the new 12 apostles and i god or i joe am a lot like jesus <laughs> this is essentially what he's saying by guys, doing that i'm jesus and you you're guys are gonna new be 12 apostles <laughs> yeah it's uh the fact that no like every nobody i'm i'm shocked he had as many followers as he did um Quickly wrapping up so we can get to the Kirtland Temple dedication in our uh, next narrative episode, uh, which is where things get really fun. We'll just kind of breeze through this last bit. Okay. In July of 1835, 
Joe uses approximately $2,400, which is about $70,000 today, to buy a set of Egyptian mummies and accompanying papyri that came with them. Joseph declares the papyri to be a lost book or account of the biblical prophet Abraham, and with uh, apparent plans of displaying the mummy and papyri to the public for a fee, kind of like a sideshow carny gig. Mm-hmm. It just always keeps going back to that. Isn't that weird? It makes money. Um, through the next several months, with a newly published translation of the Egyptian hieroglyphic alphabet, Smith and several of the hierarchy begin translating the alleged Book of Abraham. And during this time, the School of Prophets uh, began to take on more a scholarly tone as the newly uh, converted Jewish academic Josiah Sykesus uh, began teaching Hebrew to the assembled men. So they kind of stopped doing as much drugs and revelating and started like actually teaching people Hebrew and stuff, which mm. I guess is cool. Sykes has pronounced Joe's alleged book of Abraham as utterly authentic. A man who does not, uh, by mind you, uh, speak or read <laughs> Coptic or Egyptian. Um, but did he speak Hebrew? He did. He, sp- he, he, he could speak, read, and write Hebrew. Um, which was which was cool for the time and even now, but like the idea that somebody who speaks, reads, and writes in in Hebrew could have any authority to declare an Egyptian document of any kind, anything is silly. Uh, but all the Mormons were like, "Well, this guy knows Hebrew, so yeah. <laughs> he's Joe's got it." <laughs> this uh, likely gave wind to Joe's con artist wings, you know. Deeply in debt from financial overexertion of the church and his private benders, like the one described at the top of the episode, um, Smith clearly planned on using this new revenue stream to help crawl his way out of debt. Just pivot, pivot, pivot. Quote, That's why he buckled down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a, a quote from one of the uh, the uh, diaries of the uh, his hierarchy that he was showing these things. This is one of the twelve. Uh, I don't know if Wilfred... I think so. Wilfred Rodriff was one of the big guys. I think so. I, I can never remember. There's so many of them. It's anyway, tough. quote, Joseph the seer has presented us with some of the book of Abraham, which was written by his own hand, but hid from the knowledge of man for the last 4,000 years, but has now come to light through the mercy of God, unquote. Joe does not seem to attempt a translation in the way that he did with the Book of Mormon um, by head and hat, but uh, kind of Texas sharpshoots his way through uh, the more traditional attempts of translation. Uh, He does this by loosely piecing together his own wholly fictional narrative of the prophet Abraham through the hieroglyphics and then attempting to legitimize the supposedly sacred text by providing altered Egyptian characters with accompanying translations. So he's taking like kind of loose translations of things that are there and then fitting it to his narrative of Abraham and then altering the text to make it look like it's what he wants it to be. Does that make sense? I guess, but what do you mean altering the text? Um, I might do a whole episode on the Book of Abraham, but for example, there um, if you, again, flip to the back of most Book of Mormon things, they have like uh, little seals and like of Egyptian hieroglyphs and stuff. This, uh, this is supposedly from the Book of Abraham, and they use it as a, like, see, this is legit. This seal comes from the Book of Breathing, which is like a, a common funerary rite from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Um, and it, if you look at the Mormon version of it, it takes small things and edits them out. So, like, there's this, there's a, a sequence from the Book of Abraham. Is or, this in Hebrew? No, this is in Egyptian. So, the... the but he doesn't know Egyptian. The papyri, I know. <laughs> so the papyri they got are actual Egyptian documents. 
and they're just sections from the Book of the Dead, which are like permission for the deceased person to breathe in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And he takes these things. And so, for example, there's a sequ- scene or sequence in this text where you see Anubis, the dog-headed god of, of the underworld, um, like performing funeral rites on someone else. Joe um, took this scene and kind of altered the dog head to make it look like a, a human head and then changed that scene and was like, hey, that's actually Abraham with that knife and that's his son Isaac who he was supposed to uh, kill. So this little sequence that you see from from here is not an uh, Egyptian thing that gives a person the right to breathe. It's actually a story about the, the Abraham and Isaac. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense that he's looking at it and making up his own story as he's reading it, but you're describing it like he's reading it, understanding it, and then changing it. Yes, he's doing that. He's understanding it. Not understanding it. He He's, a, <laughs> he's understanding pieces of it. So like the, okay. the hieroglyphic dictionary that the, the brethren had that they were using to actually try and translate this, they they were getting pieces of it right. Mm-hmm. And then they were Texas sharpshooting by like getting pieces of it right, shooting near enough the target and then like right drawing the target around the, the shots. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So like they were they were getting pieces of it and then they were altering it to fit their Mormon narrative. Okay. And that's what they still do today. We know this because we, uh, I believe. Isn't that religion? <laughs> it's all religion, yes. If you want to know more about the Book of Abraham, it is fascinating. Um, Dan Vogel has like an eight part miniseries on YouTube about the Book of Abraham, and it's like an hour a piece. He has like nine hours of documentary information about breaking down the entire Book of Abraham and its legitimacy or, or not. <laughs> um, I really recommend it. It's very good. So if this this is interesting to you, I'm doing a horrible job of, of explaining it, and we're covering like what could take two or three episodes in just like a five-minute thing. So okay. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry if it's – we're breezing through this. Um, we'll probably come back to this okay. again later and deal with the Book of Abraham. But just so you know, this is where the Book of Abraham comes from. Okay. We'll, we'll probably address it later. So, uh, yeah, just to reiterate, this this papyri has uh, sections that you can still see if you flip to the back of most Book of Mormon trip, triplets, the Pearl of Great Price at the back. They, they present an altered facsimile um, of this this Book of Breathing. So there's hieroglyphs in the Book of Mormon? Yeah. <laughs> so this they take an altered, Joe's altered version of the Book of Breathings, still printed in the back of the Book of Mormon, and still are like, hey, look, guys, this is proof that the and Book of Abrahams are real. Yes, and they're, hi- they're hieroglyphs from a very standard section of the, the Egyptian Book of the Dead that okay. everybody was I buried with. Double checking. Yeah. You know, I was I, when you originally explained this, I was thinking of, you know, like when you get an F on a paper and you can draw that one extra line and it's an A. It is a lot like that. It is actually, it is a lot like that. Joe is forging his homework <laughs> <laughs> by, by, by changing the F into an A. That's how I was picturing him doing it, this. It is okay. very much like that. Um, like okay. I said, he kind of scribbles out the dog head, makes it look like a, a real person. And then he's like, see, it's Abraham. It, anyway, uh, so in August of uh, the same year, Phelps and Cowdery uh, issued denials of polygamy while secretly practicing it in secret alongside Smith themselves. Secret marriages uh, are being conducted all over the place, although the public revelations for polygamy weren't, uh, wouldn't surface until 1843. So for almost a decade. 
decade. Yeah, this they're they're practicing polygamy. Of yeah, polygamy and, and it's everywhere, marriage. and it's bigamist. It's it, like people are marrying each other's wives. People, but are is mar- it polygamy, like? with like outright in these groups or is it just a bunch of guys having a bunch of secret wives living sp- spread out it's all of it all, it's, all so like there's okay. there's men that have 13 wives period there's men that have i got one wife and then i got three secret wives i've got and then there's joe's case where he's like i gotta marry my my nanny i got my first wife i've got my three other separate wives i got but i'm actually secret. married to that lady and i'm actually married to her mom neither of them know it that's pretty fun it's just it, like but it all was, secret but everything was secret sometimes it wasn't sometimes you just had you know a bunch of wives and it was like uh, isaac morley in kirtland the guy who um he, he was holding all the sacrament meetings where they boarded up the windows and stuff mm-hmm. that guy was he he practiced what he called big family and like from the beginning he's actually the one i think that introduced polygamy to mormonism by like just being so open about it okay um and some of the some of these men like women like i said were polyandrously married to other men at the time as smith dur- during this time even begins sending off some of their husbands for various mission work and then marrying their wives while they were away, <laughs> presumably uh, consummating said marriages as well. Um, another one of those uh, early Mormon don't ask, don't tell policies, but we'll keep hitting those again. And he keeps referring to it as everyone's Abrahamic test, which is, if you're not familiar, not, not. God told Abraham to kill his son as a proof of his faith to God, which is was uh, he the bad son. No, he was. It's this whole story. Abraham fought for years to have a, a kid with his. Um, him and his wife were a, a little older. They were prophets, or he was a prophet, and he couldn't have a kid. It, it's this whole thing where they spend years trying to have a baby. They finally have a baby named like those Isaac. Old people who get Hercules. Uh huh. Like the old people who get Hercules. <laughs> Kinda. Okay. Um, so they finally get this baby, and uh, Abraham the prophet is told by God that he needs to sacrifice Isaac, his son, to God. And so he, he finally gets a baby, and then he has to sacrifice. Yes, which okay. is super fucked up, and you know, it's well, that's its own thing. But he goes to actually kill his son. And God sends an angel to stop him at the last second and be like, I was totally, j- I just wanted to see if you'd do it. And you did, you passed the test. Gross. And so when Joseph, like when guys find out he's fucking their wives and stuff, he, he'll he like say, hey, oh, oh, I I didn't want to do this. I'm so, this was our Abrahamic test. God was, tr- was giving us a trial and we need to get through this together. And he's, hey, pivot, pivot, but he did pivot, it. pivot. Huh? But he did it. But he did it. I mean, yeah, that's kind of different. Well, that's what he's saying. He's like, God's te- God told me to marry your wife and to make this secret, sacred covenant with just her. Mm-hmm. And this is your Abrahamic test to be cool with it. <laughs> it's like, oh. God is giving you this test to be cool with me fucking your wife. <laughs> <And> that was <laughs> that that, a stretch. That I'm is sorry. A, it is a stretch, but it is an argument he used regularly. <laughs> was This is our Abrahamic test. So, yeah, Smith continues use of his seer stone in private and apparently still keeps uh, his his stones and his talisman and stuff on his person. So he's still practicing magic at this time. It took church historians nearly half, uh, nearly a century and a half to come to terms with Joe's career as a magician. And likewise, it's taken people still today are arguing whether or not any of these relationships were were sexual or not, which I I think it's pretty clear that they were. But um this is still contentious and it was because it was so secretive. So can you see why it might be easy 
to that uh, that entheogenic wine and anointing oil uh, were being kept similarly under wraps, and that it's it it's going to take a while for history to come to terms with this stuff with, that this stuff was happening and kind of everywhere. Yeah, they were just using language and. Um, symbolism that uh kind of obfuscated what they were doing mm-hmm. um you know J- similarly joe uh continues exhibiting his alleged book of abraham and convincing other mormons uh, of the papyri and uh, supposed translations uh, through the interim of 1835 and into the spring of 1836 which finally brings us to the kirtland temple dedication which is like the cherry on top of this anthogenic nightmare it's the bing um bing. <laughs> bing. Uh, so in our next episode we will examine this in great detail joe's largest choreographed administration of antigenic sacramental wine to literally hundreds of parishioners at once undoubtedly the antigenic crescendo of joe's career this and my reason for labeling him the entheomagus mormon coachella <laughs> yes you could it's kind of the mormon coachella gotcha. but it only happened it only once only got that oh it's the mormon woodstock did that happen? Yeah, more it was, yeah, more like the Mormon. Well, it happened a second time. It was disastrous. It's the <laughs> but... Mormon fire. Oof. Oof. <laughs> That's actually is it, actually is that more on probably point? more on point. The <laughs> Mormon <right>. fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I'll hear more about it, and then I'll dub it. It's appropriate festival. <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it. Um, Cool. Racist, uh, oh, weird cool. Christian fan fiction, fake giant Native Americans that turned white and more <laughs> antigenic brides. And oh, God. Yeah. Fun stuff this episode. Um, thanks for <laughs> sticking around. Um, what do we do at the end of the episode? That's right. It's different every time. God damn. Showing that wacky, wacky character. We need to hire a professional to do this. Um, we do. But. <laughs> That would cost money, and so it's not ever going to happen. Um, we have the Instagram. What's the Instagram? Mormons and Drugs Podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're on Instagram. Yeah. Website is mormonsanddrugs.com. Yes. I don't know how you found this if you don't know where the website is, but um, Well, they would have found podcatchers. us. Find us in your podcatcher. Give us a rating, maybe. That'd be great. That'd be really nice. <laughs> uh, my book. You can find my book now. That's out. It's on uh, Amazon and the Barnes and & Nobles and kubos all the all the book places um barnes and nobles and amazon you can also order them through um cooler bookstores like pals yes um, yeah local places that's right you can any brick and mortar place yeah they should have awesome or at least an online version an online version yeah the psychedelic history of mormonism magic and drugs look it up uh if you can't buy it or you don't want to buy it uh, you just want to listen to this podcast again like a, a review on one of those book sites would be super helpful and awesome We'd appreciate it, listener. Uh, that's it. I did my begging. <coughs> Please help us. Um, we love you all. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.